Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Superpowers Podcast. Our show is simple. Tell stories from the trenches, understand our guest journeys and what leads to their success. And ideally, we unearth their unique superpowers. Everyone has a superpower. What's yours? Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode and edition of the Superpowers Podcast. I have Jake DeSico. Jake, did I get the last name right? You did. Oh my God, we're on fire. He's coming in from Austin. He's one of three brothers of a direct-to-consumer consumer company, Super Coffee. I imagine a lot of people have seen Super Coffee, tried Super Coffee. They have a really interesting story. Number one, three brothers, really excited to kind of talk about how that works. Their time in New York, building the business, where they are today, most recently valued at 500 million. They have some really interesting celebrities and athletes involved with their company. I'm lucky I got Jake. I just imagine he's got to be the, the better and cooler brother than uh, Jordan and Jim. So here he is. But Jake, welcome to the Superpowers podcast from Austin, Texas, man. Good to be with you. Yes, Chris. Thank you so much, brother. It's great to be on. I'm excited to be here. I'll, I'll do my best to, to keep the energy level high for us. Oh, uh, dude, just keep pounding, just keep pounding the uh, the coffee. So we're going to jump into it. I read a little bit about uh, you guys, Forbes, and a few other articles. It's a really fun story. I'm guessing that this is the first time ever someone's asked you to tell tell the story about how three brothers create a fast move brand. But I, I, you know, I did, I did hear, I did sort of understand the conception. But let's just kick off. What is Super Coffee? Why is it working? Where did it originate from? And and let's kick off there, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in its simplest form, Super Coffee is the Starbucks Frappuccino, right? That glass bottle coffee that, that we've all seen and enjoyed for since the early 2000s, except that Starbucks drink has 300 calories and 45 grams of sugar. Super Coffee is 80 calories, zero grams of sugar. But our core premise was, you know, for our friends to want to drink a drink that we were going to make that was a third of the calories and zero sugar. It needed to taste like the Starbucks Frappuccino, right? Who has a 90 category share, had a 90 category share when we were launching back in 2016. It's a $4 billion category. We were like, hey, the leader, right? This guy that owns almost the entire pie is selling a milkshake in a coffee bottle. So we do enhance the products. There's 200 milligrams of caffeine, which is about two cups of coffee. There's some protein rather than fatty creamer. We use protein, either plant-based protein or dairy protein. Then we have some other functional benefits like coconut oil. But really, the whole idea is a, a more functional cup of coffee that tastes great and has nutritionals that, you know, whether you're keto, whether you're plant-based, whether you're gluten-free, we kind of check all those boxes. But most importantly, we want to taste like that milkshake that Starbucks has taught you to love since you were, <laughs> you were young and drinking indulgent coffee. Well, I got to knock Starbucks because first of all, when I, whenever I go uh, in there and I see people with those absurd, like they're, it's like, it's like their milkshakes and whipped cream and hot fudge. And like, I don't know, you like whoever's listening to the show, like, don't, don't drink that shit, man. Like drink, drink a real, drink a real coffee. Drink um, a super coffee. Drink, drink a super, super coffee. coffee. Yeah. So, so go. now if I read correctly and uh, Jake, tell me if it's, if it was you is it, there, there's some, I want to hear a little bit about you and your brothers. We got some athletes. Yeah. Um, and there may have been some early workouts one morning that sort of led to realizing that there's got to be a better way to get some some energy before class that kind of led to i want to i'm always and i know our listeners too jake i want to hear about the the kind of experience and pain point 
of which the uh, conception of the idea came about. And also sort of that if there was that first phone call or text amongst brothers, yeah. I want you to talk a little bit about your brothers and their ages and where you guys sit. Because I, again, I just think that's such a rad part of this, uh, this story. You're so lucky to work with uh, family, but go ahead. Yes, sir. So I can't take credit for the actual creation of Super Coffee. That's my younger brother, Jordan. Uh, who is the, the most courageous of the three. He, he's the true, at his core, entrepreneur. And he was a freshman playing basketball at Philadelphia University, full scholarship player, really good, really good point guard. And he was making that adjustment from being a high school senior to the demanding life of a, a student athlete that's going to school for free, right? It becomes a job real quick. And he realized that. And they had 5 a.m. workouts. And he would go from workout to 8 a.m. accounting. Right. So for an 18 year old kid, that was bad. Whoever it sounds terrible. It sounds absolutely terrible. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> anyway, he was falling asleep in class and he would go to from the athletic center to class in the business school. And he, there was one place to get a product along the way. And it was a school store. And the school store sold Red Bull, Monster, Starbucks and Dunkin Donuts coffee. That was it. Those were his options. That was he was confined to. And, you know, we, we've been, we were, we were fortunate. We grew up in a house and my mom didn't serve soda. There was no sodas in our fridge. Yep. Uh, Gatorade would get cut with water. Like we were, we were aware of sugar intake. So for but, him, by the, by, by the way, like, touch on that. Cause so, uh, so my family wasn't, but my wife and her parents are British. We, that's how we have boys 11 and nine and we're the exact same. We, th we cut, cut, you know, like not, there's no sodas or any, where does that come from? Like where? Were your mom and dad athletes? I just, just, I'm going to take you off tour a little bit, Jake, a few times. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to have to stay with me. But what? Let's talk about mom and dad in that household of three dudes running around. Like where, where did that sort of health conscious? Because normally you just see houses kind of littered with bad, bad food, you know, jacked up with sugar. So where, where did it come from? Yeah, I mean, I think it was just a general understanding of what was good for you and what wasn't. Mom and dad were college athletes, but by no means were were we eating organic. Right. And they weren't like health nut. You weren't they on were the, you weren't on the, Bra you weren't on the Brady diet at that age. No, no, we, no, we never had an avocado in our home growing up in upstate New York ever. We did eat Eggo waffles, you know, like, so it was like this weird blend. But I think one thing that they really pinpointed was like, Hey, you're not going to drink Coca-Cola in this house growing up. Right. And we did cut, I remember very distinctly, we would cut the cranberry juice with water. I think it was because my mom was cheap and we had to make the dollar. <laughs> Go a little bit further, but it was also because, you know, you don't need a Gatorade with 25 grams of sugar. We would have like the big gallon Gatorade and they would always get caught with water. So I think we understood that sugar and beverage was excessive. I think that was uh, a fundamental belief that we had. So going back to, to Jordan, he was like, hey, there's not an option for me here. Right. And then he just did, uh, again, like the entry level research was there's this $4 billion category with one person that open uh, owns 90 percent of it and yeah. i think that was one of the funny things in the earliest days people are like, you're starting a coffee company have you ever heard of starbucks and we're like yes it's great like they're the guys <laughs> they're doing it they own it and they make a crappy product yeah the product in cafes is great right i'm not going to ever talk shit about starbucks cafe they have thirty-five thousand of those things yep. around the world but the bottom version is just a, uh, a milk yep cake, right so yep that was the earliest of origins. I was a junior playing football at Georgetown University, so two hours south of Philly. And Jordan called me up. I, I'll remember this phone call for the rest of my life and said, hey, man, do you want to start a coffee company? 
And I'm like, no, like I don't. What are you talking about? No one in our family is entrepreneurs. No one comes from food and beverage or CPG. Like we don't, no one understood what a startup was, right? This is still 2015 at that time. At any stage with any of your brothers, hey, one day would it be cool if, like, did that ever, like when you were younger, uh, did that ever come up between you guys? No, I mean, we were all athletes and we played sports together. So I think that was an, a really important part of how we can run a business together. And we played, it wasn't just Little League. What, we did play Little League together. But then we played varsity sports together and got recruited to go play Division One collegiate sports. And I think that level, like we knew, Jim was my high school, so Jim's oldest brother, CEO. He was my high school quarterback, right? Oh, wow. Um, and he was a Division That's... One, yeah, Division One football player. And I had to learn in the huddle, right, that I was not, my brother wasn't the quarterback, right? That was just the quarterback. Yeah, um, yeah. So, and I couldn't throw a tantrum, right? So, and I think people are always worried about that. Like, how do you, how are you containing yourself in the boardroom and not just like put your brother in a chokehold and give him a noogie, right? <laughs> and it's like, I couldn't do that in the, in the huddle, right? And we couldn't do that on the Little League field. So, I do think that was a really important part of us kind of learning how to be teammates first, respect each other's positions, and just make sure that we were working towards the greater goal of the team. And that carries over very nicely to the workplace. All right, Jake, um, hold on. I love this. I, I'm just, yeah. again, we're going to go off. We're going to, so three J's. What's the story behind Jim, Jake, and Jordan all with the same letter? I don't know. Just my parents wanted to t torment themselves. There's not, there's not, was, there's was, nothing, there's nothing mysterious there. Nothing mysterious. JD. Okay. Oh. Now, now you're going to stack rank who's the best athlete out of the three of you. And you, you listen, they, they may or may not listen to the Superpowers podcast. It'd be crazy not to, but come on, man. You, there's got to be some truth here. All right. Well, first and foremost, one of our core values at Super Coffee is humility. So I got to start with that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow that up with saying that I'm the best athlete of the three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we all were different. I mean, Jordan was a, ba a basketball player, right? And he's a point guard, very crafty, great hand-eye coordination. And then Jim was a, a co collegiate kick returner and then turned running back and quarterback. So like brute force, just amazing athlete. And then I was a slot receiver punt returner. So I think we all just had pretty, pretty different yeah. dynamic skills. I would say it's pretty dead even if I'm being honest. I, I, no I was, was messing like, with you. Really I was just order. I was messing with you. I was kind of ordering. I did read about, I, and I, 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 one of your taglines as a business is a sign that we have in front of our door before our kids uh, roll out, which is along the lines of be nice and be kind. I, I love that. Yeah. I did read that about you guys. I think that's wonderful. I was kind of messing with you, but just seeing if I could order the code red, but we, we uh, you, you answered it the right way. Okay. So I've taken you off course a little bit. You're, you're oh, kind yeah. of in this, you're in this, you got this phone call. You guys are talking about it. We got it. There's got to be a better way to, to sort of build, build a business. There's no kind of entrepreneurial you know, experience or DNA, you guys were never kind of plotting and mapping out. So what happened next? Did you, what kinds of moves had to be made to sort of get going? Did anyone have to leave school or was it working on weekends? Talk a little bit about the, the, er, the early kind of hard yards of, of kind of get making yeah. this a reality. 100%. I, one thing I'd say just from a prior question is Jordan and I kind of always had a little bit of an entrepreneurial bug. We would do lemonade stands, in high school, we hustled and sold gum in the hallways, right? Like back Love it. and go to Sam's Club with our dad. So that was there. The gym was at Colgate, right? And he was had a great job going to work for the Blackstone Group on Wall Street. So Jordan called me. We're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to do this. At Georgetown University had a summer launch program. We did a pitch competition, which was great. 
I advise any collegiate person or really any aspiring entrepreneur, try and sign up for a pitch competition just because it gives you a formal deadline, right? I'm going to go out and I'm going to present my business idea in a, you know, kind of well-collected way. So we did that that summer of 2015. It was working well enough to the point where we kind of had a product. We didn't have anywhere to make it, but we had the product down to a T at that point in time. We kind of knew what we wanted to do. We were learning the space. Then we went to a Whole Foods right off campus at Georgetown. Jordan was living with me uh, on my couch at my college house. We were, we were knocking down doors that summer. We went up to Whole Foods and we bought an honest tea bottle. I'll never forget it. A black bottle of honest tea. We brought it back to the dorm room. We peeled the label off. We brewed up a batch of super coffee. We took it to the business school. We printed out a sticky label that we had like, pulled nutrition tracks from Google Images. Then we went straight back to that same Whole Foods with the same honest tea bottle that was now turned into a super coffee bottle by us by hand and sold it to the store manager. We said, hey, this is a zero sugar coffee. There's nothing like it in your store. You should be selling it. I was like, all right, you're right. Like, I mean, after some convincing, he was like, it doesn't look legit. Like, no, no, this is just a prototype. It's like, all right, I'll take eight cases. We're like, holy, we're like, we, wow. Wait, but Jake, do you have to have like, what kind of, uh, forgive me here for my ignorance, but do you, what kind of, what do you need sort of approved to be able to take a product into a Whole Foods and kind of get food safety, you need food safety stuff, right? You need like labeling, like UPC, barcodes, case pack out. Like, so you're going to, in, in Whole Foods, at the time, this is way pre-Amazon, right? So Whole Foods was kind of like still your neighborhood grocer. And they had, you know, not big brands in every store. Maybe 90% of the store was these big brands. Then 10% of it was kind of farmer's market type brands. And that's what we were showing up as. So we went into Whole Foods portal. We did all that. But anyway, guy orders eight cases. We show up about 12 weeks later to deliver the eight cases. And we go to the back door. We have our purchase order. We're super excited. We show it to the guy at the receiving dock. And he's like, Guys, I'm sorry, this, this PO is, is not act, active. And we're like, what do you mean? He's like, go up and speak to Rob in the store. And then, you know, he's the one that wrote it. And we're like, hey, Rob, like, what's going on here? We've got your eight cases. He's like, guys, when I write you a PO on Tuesday, you deliver it on Thursday. Where the hell have you been? <laughs> it's been 12 weeks. But something really important happened in those 12 weeks as well. Summer was coming up, right? I was going back to school for my senior year football season at Georgetown. Jordan was going to get ready to go back to Philadelphia University for his sophomore season, starting point guard. And we got into Whole Foods. And we were doing the back of the napkin, really straightforward math, right? Jordan's two and a half hours away in, in Philly. Jake is here going to business school and playing his senior football season, which he's been preparing his whole life to do. And we need to make the product by hand and deliver it to Whole Foods by hand. Those three things add up to no business, right? This will slip through the cracks. Like this is just not there. So Jordan made the decision to give up his full scholarship going back for a sophomore year. So he's a 19 year old kid. And we knew that was inevitable just given the circumstances. And we had made that decision probably two or three weeks together. And it was Jordan's decision to make, but finally to make it go live, you had to tell my parents, right? I would go into double sessions at Georgetown. I'll never forget this day either. And he's like, all right, like, I got to call mom. Like, what do you, what should I do? I'm like, dude, call Jim first. You got to talk to Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy had just graduated from Colgate. My parents were super happy about it. He's working on wall street. I might just get advice from Jim. I got to go to practice. I come out of practice. I have like 10 missed calls from my mom. I'm like, oh shit, definitely didn't go good. <laughs> like, this is right. Good. I hope Jim, I hope Jim advised Jordan well on what to say. And I call my mom back. And she's like, I can't believe you. 
Jimmy's quitting his job. And oh, yeah. He's dropping out of school. It's all like, falling yeah. apart. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I had no idea Jimmy was quitting his job, but that was a pivotal moment, right? So he was, Jim recognized, wow, Jordan is going to drop out of school to do this. I can come, right? And I think it was just straight football for him, too. He's like, I'm not going to be up on Wall Street, right, while my two little brothers are trying to launch a company. So he made, those, both those guys made huge sacrifices. Huge sacrifices. Huge. But it, se- uh, it seems like, as I'm just hearing a little bit about Jim at Black, so seems like the perfect, from an older brother and experience perspective, but also kind of his career track, kind of also the, the right guy to be the CEO, right? Because you guys all have totally. different roles. You guys all have different roles. It was definitely, yeah, totally. I mean, it, it, the, the funny thing, he'd been at, at Blackstone for all of eight weeks. Right? So okay, okay. Like, he was like, he had dragged. But yes, you're right. And as a, as a, as we went to raise our initial seed capital, right. And, and started to do that. It was like, Hey, like it's not just two crazy college kids that are very entrepreneurial. They believe in, in a big vision and they want to go conquer the world. There's also this third older brother who's a CEO and he does at least have some type of financial literacy. He did work at Blackstone. He had done underwriting for investment. Like I, that was definitely a pivotal part of like, giving investors at least enough conviction in the earliest days to say, okay, there's something here, right? And we naturally then also, to your point, and I think this is a huge solution to how we were able to scale as brothers, we, we started to form our swim lanes, right? Fi- investor relations and finances with Jim. Sales and building accounts and, and you know being in front of customers with Jake. Product development and really making sure that we were running an operational company was Jordan. And mind you, in the earliest days, you know, we were delivery drivers and we had to do that. Sure. We all did everything. No, no, everyone did everything. But yeah, you all had to learn how the pizza was made and you worked in the kitchen, so to speak, right? Uh, But no, that makes sense. I mean, I like swim lane. I'm going to actually, I think the idea of superpower, see what I did there, uh, Jake, is, uh, but yeah, look, Jordan's original idea kind of a vision perspective. You got Jim from, from, you know, you know, operations and clearly, you know, look, I'm, I, I probably have more in common with you, you know, sales, revenue, marketing, BD, that's a straight hustling customers face and all that. But that's super cool that you guys were able to kind of, you know, figure that out. I, I just got to go if for someone listening and being like, how, how does one start another coffee, another brand, right? Like, it, you know, like there's gotta be this like, what makes, what was the initial like liftoff, right? Because there are so many products out there, Jake, like I forget Starbucks. You just go out and you, you know, you look in the, you know, you, you go, you go to Whole Foods, you go to like a whatever store. There seems to be a lot of products out there, but what was the, probably not just one thing, but what was the jump or the leap to make Super Coffee kind of a, a real brand that people wanted to get behind? Was it the athlete? Was it the ingredients was it the packaging was it the marketing was it the like organic user base that sort of took it to the next level all the above i just you know yeah no it's a great question i mean one i think that there's two ways two schools of thought right when you're going into launch a business like you want to look for a red ocean right that's that's crowded and there's big players and there's established kind of consumer trends or a blue ocean right where you know there's white space right that you can go into and, and there's a ton of opportunity I have always been in the school of thought that kind of the more crowded space to enter or an established category is probably the most ripe for disruption, right? When there's ways of doing things and there's a big leader, like people tend to take their eye off the ball. There's not a lot of innovations versus when there's a sprint 
and I would, I would use, you know, crypto right now, right? Or anything blockchain based. It's such a sprint that it's so hard to cut through, right? Because everything's new, everything's innovation. So cutting through is much more difficult when everyone's kind of gold rushing at the same time. So to answer the question, you know, it's kind of none of the above and all of the above. There's one reason why Super Coffee worked and it was brute force. I I promise you, we weren't a sophisticated DTC model in the beginning of days. It was a retail play where we were making deliveries to grocery stores. We were the ones that were putting it on the shelf and we were the ones that were showing up on the weekends to do demos. And it was a game of conviction and brute force the more that we could be seen in the store, the more people would buy, right? So if there was 40 facings, 40 bottles of coffee set for the whole store and Super Coffee was supposed to have two of them and brand A was supposed to have five of them and brand six was, or the other brands were supposed to each have two, 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 we would go in and make a relationship with that store manager and Super Coffee would have 30, right? And the rest of the brands would have 10. And it was only because we were showing up and showing up yep. and we would do what we were doing. The ta- you were doing the tactical in the trenches the grind, man, yeah. it's not sexy, sure as hell not fun. No, it's horrible. Horrible. It was wonderful. So we started one Whole Foods, then two Whole Foods, then three Whole Foods, then four Whole Foods, up until 20. That was our first year of business. And we literally went into one store, and we didn't leave and go to a second store until we were the best-selling bottled coffee in that individual Whole Foods. Oh, I like that. that was yeah. The, yeah, that was the game plan. And we did that from zero store from idea to 20. And then we raised money because we said, we're the best selling bottled coffee now in 20 Whole Foods. And it's not only in 20 Whole Foods, but it's 100% of the stores that we're in. That was enough for investors to say, okay, there's something here. And then we scaled from there. But I think a big thing for CPG brands, ones that go into retail, when, we, when you sell it to the store, you get paid, right? That purchase order comes in, you get paid. A lot of brands put their product on the shelf. They've been paid. They think their job is done. For us, when we got to the shelf, we always said that's when our job was starting, right? We needed to get the product off the shelf and into consumers' carts as quickly as possible. So that was early days. That was the brute force. Then the thing, you know, it took us two and a half years. We went from $200,000 in sales our first year, which, I mean, it was a great feat making deliveries ourselves, but still tiny, to a million dollars in year two to $5 million in year three, which was cool scale, but still not like, a scaled business at that point in time. Then the following year from five, we went to 27 million in sales. And that was going from little league to like triple A, right? And I think what happened in that, that point in time, we really leaned into listening to our customer, understanding what they wanted. And the biggest thing that we got was we want sweet and we want zero sugar. And we were the first ones to do that in coffee. And we said, we're going to scale this thing. So we went 27 million to 55 million 88 million in sales in a five-year period. All right. So, uh, so what, Jake, let's sit on that. So now from a, there was also, you know, so what's, there's a massive rush in regards to D to C, right? Years ago, different categories, Casper, Allbirds, yep. you know, you know the drill, right? Yep. A lot of those have gone big IPOs or SPACs have flamed out. Why? Predominantly the marketing spend and sort of CAC ratio and, and lifetime, the math doesn't, the math doesn't sort of work out. So if I'm hearing correctly, the grassroots piece of, of Whole Foods makes a ton of sense. You're just banging on doors, you're getting cases in there, you're selling. Talk to us a little bit about it, you know, the evolution and maybe obviously once you, you're able to raise significant capital, which you have, that changes. But what are the channels that work well in regards to user acquisition? 
And is there a subscriber business connected to Super Coffee? But just trying to understand like what didn't work. Give us a story yeah. of that that didn't work. Tell us some hard knocks along that. But but specifically, want to understand you know with so many consumer companies, I shared with you earlier. You know, our, our you know from a from a CTV perspective, how we think about consumer now. But yeah, you got it. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, one, we do have a great subscription business. You know, about 20% of our overall business is direct to consumer today. So that's a large, you know, greater than $20 million annual business and about 60% of it subscription. So Killer. that's a good portion of our business. Yeah, it's great. I think that, you know, the earliest of things that worked for us, first and foremost, right, we were doing a zero sugar coffee with added healthy fat and protein in 2016 before anyone had ever said the word ketogenic. So I would say that was dumb luck, right? The fact that we had designed a product for the keto diet and then keto blows up in 2017, 2018, 2019. So that made it really easy for customer acquisition. Anyone that was looking for like keto in the earliest of days, Super Coffee was their product. So that right. was right place, right time. That's why following trends is important, I think, before they become trends. If you can be there, right, and then something happens, and you're in line with it, you can kind of ride those coattails and take off with it. So that was something that happened in our favor. It made customer acquisition really easy in the early days, not easy, but targeted. We could be very targeted because our products in the early days also weren't great products. They were great for the time, but retrospectively, they kind of sucked. But because there was a keto audience that was buying based off of, you know, this idea of healthy fat, protein, zero sugar, the liquid didn't matter too much. Today, the liquid way better. And then I think, you know, the, the, the last thing was we were super disciplined, especially on our retail side of the business. We said we wanted to be the best bottled coffee in the DC greater market. Then it was DC to Philly. And then it was from DC to New York, right? That was those first three years. Ralph's in Southern California, Kroger Banner reached out to us in the, right around our second year that we want to launch you guys in Ralph's 170 stores. We would have doubled our business overnight. And we said, hold on. We don't know anyone in Southern California. We don't have a playbook to win in Southern California. We've never been to a Ralph. Mr. Ralph, I'm sorry, we can't go there right now because we'll be spreading ourselves thin. So inch wide, mile deep was like a, a, a mantra. So just Jim Jordan and I running the business for two years, like savages, solo, we're going to do this. And that discipline, I think it's something that a lot of founders get tripped up on. It's like shiny object here, double the yep. here. So that was, super helpful in kind of how we grew. And then when it was time to scale, right, it was great because we said, we're just going to replicate what's already worked and we're going to build out a team in the Midwest. We're going to build out a team in the South Central. We're going to build out a team to run Florida. We're going to build out a team to run California, but we're going to make sure that they run the principles, right, that we learned in that first two years. So it was actually strong foundational stuff that was being replicated in new, in new markets. Her so love that. So Jake, when you and your brothers kind of talk about, because that's always the hard part, right? To grow and scale, it's, it's the, the, the team is critical, right? The representation of Super Coffee internally, externally. How would you define the types of people and employees? How many people do you have? What kinds of groups are there within Super Coffee? But also for our listeners, what kinds of people were attracted to the brand? And what kinds of people were you like, oh shit, man, you got to like, I just met this person. You got to close them tomorrow because it's game changer. You know, I, I find that part really fascinating. And then last part of that is when I was starting companies, I, I recall, you know, for a company that I started called App Savvy, which got to about 125 people uh, back in mid mid 2000s, 
the first kind of five to 10 were the most critical because they set the culture that together, they were the foundation. They were the leaders in the locker room using your kind of sports DNA that it didn't matter. You didn't need a coach or man. You didn't, they didn't need to be there. Yeah. They self-police. So talk to us a little about team culture, hiring values, where that came from, why, how important was it? Yes, hundred percent. And I mean, team, your team, your people are everything, right? Like that, that, that is what the business is. And it took us a long time to learn that we're like your, your classic athlete turned entrepreneur, where it was very focused in the early days. How much can Jordan, Jake, and Jimmy produce, right? And that was, and you realize over time that you can't really scale. You can only scale your own sweat equity so much, right? So then it went, how do we build a great team? And the first 10, I think what we did is we went out and got people that, you know, could do exactly what we could do, be those same people, follow our lead. And that was kind of how we scaled the early days. We quickly realized though, that if we did not go recruit and get people that were smarter than us, that could tell us what to do, but also live up to our cultural standards, that's how we were going to grow the business. So in that stage, I think really up to 20, 25 people, we were pretty sound and strong to your point, like strong locker room. You didn't even need to give marching orders because it was one band, one sound, everyone marching in the same direction. We realized that there was something special, right? And we wanted to really codify the culture. If we said, if we're going to go out and there was a year that we went from 25 employees to 75, they were 150. Uh, but that was a big job. We said, before we do that, we need to say what our culture is. We need to write it down and we need to have that actually be policed. So we said, we came up with an acronym called coach. Coach are the five core pillars of super coffee. It's curious, optimistic, ambitious, compassionate, and humble. If you're not a coach, right? One, to be a coach, you have to live those five things. And if you're not a coach, you can't work at super coffee. And the simpler way that we even use coach is a very short expression, which you just touched on earlier in the podcast, is work hard and be nice to people. And that is the most important thing here because you can be the hardest worker, the best producer in the world, but if you're an asshole, there's not a place for you at super coffee. And the best part about that is if you're the nicest guy in the world, Chris, but you can't put your nose to the grindstone and work the way that your counterparts are working. There's also not a job for you here at Super Coffee. So it definitely both of those things. And I think the moment that we really put pen to paper, kind of put that out there and said, these aren't, this isn't a plaque on the wall. This is the This is real. To be, yeah. This is real, right? And then you can get feedback on that, right? Like, hey, I think, Chris, you know, this morning, I think you're really lacking compassion, right? Like you were yelling at Jimmy and like you weren't, actually curious and yeah but jimmy always fucks up but jimmy always fucks jimmy up always fu- <laughs> <laughs> that's right so i think that codification of like here's what we represent that's when the culture started policing itself right and the expectation started doing it and don't get me wrong you know it would we had turnover right key position get it fit, like and that was the hardest thing i think as a young leader is being willing to say you are an essential part of this business you have all the skills, you have all the credentials. You just don't fit what these younger folks who are part of this culture look up to. You can't be here, right? That was probably the hardest thing to realize that your people are everything. And that's, you know, the biggest thing that Jim and Jordan and I have shifted to outside of that model of how much can we produce is how much can we take care of our people? Because if you take care of your people, your people take care of the business, right? I love it. Um, I love it, man. What? 
I love yeah. it, Jake. How many years of business now? How many years of business are we in? This is year six. Okay, that's killer. Great revenue, great backers. Where, um, where, where does the brand go from here? You know what? What? So I'm not talking about revenue, but where? Wh what? What do you guys I inspire to sort of create or become and build from this point? Yeah. Well, I think first and foremost, one thing that we say is, you know, we sell groceries to grocery stores, right? And we sell groceries online. That that that's the business that we're in. There are no advanced tactics to grow. There's just the advanced application of the simple tactics. So we we call them the beautiful, boring basics. I think continuing to scale that. But what we aspire to be, you know, we aspire to be a global brand. That is one thing that, that we certainly aspire to be. Here in the U.S., you know, we, we want to really challenge Starbucks on the bottled coffee side of the business and, and, and close the gap because we're now the number two player in the category, which is amazing. We're bigger than Dunkin' Donuts and Java Mobster. But the gap is huge between us and Starbucks. So I think closing that gap and then really, you know, continuing to put out cutting edge products that push the kind of the, the conventional boundaries of what a coffee brand can do from a flavor and product perspective and make them applicable to the masses. So we just launched a, a new line. It's a blueberry muffin flavored coffee. It's a cinnamon roll flavored and it is a caramel waffle. Those three flavors wow. we launched nationally. Yeah, they're, they're all wow. launched them nationally in every Walmart in the country, right? And they're zero sugar, they're 80 calories, there's nothing artificial. That's like an example of our mission, I think our aspiration in action. Be completely unique and different and make it available to, the, and I don't even mean the lowest common denominator, but from Walmart to Whole Foods and everywhere in between. That's kind of the brand vision. And then scale that globally, I think is like the five-year kind of plan. And we think that, you know, Asia can be an amazing market for super coffee. We think the UK can be an amazing one. So continuing to do that. And then lastly, I think, you know, we want to be known as the leader in how a company can empower their people to achieve great results together. Like, I think if, if there's one thing that Jim Jordan and I could say, what is super coffee? It's a great place to work, to build and collaborate while you operate under shared values and vision. Love it. Jake, is there a story, put you on the spot here, I'm sorry. Is there a story that hasn't been published or anything at any stage of the last six years between your brothers working together, maybe a day where you're like, oh shit, this isn't going to work. Or the investor that said no, you know, like, is there anything that you guys will sort of, you know, laugh about now, but maybe didn't laugh about then in regards to sort of the development and, and the build of the brand. I can come back. I got a few more questions, but I'll see if I'll see if you got something hot. Yeah. I mean, one is there's oh shit moments, right? Like, are we going to survive? Probably hundreds of those moments, right? <laughs> extreme, extreme optimism, I think is the, the most important, you know, value for any entrepreneur, right? If you can be optimistic in the face of adversity or in tough times, you're going to be significantly better, right? And one of our mentors says, there's no stressful situations, just stressful responses, right? You can choose to make a situation stressful. But I'll tell you about one <laughs> that was stressful is we went from our first ever real scale production run. We were going from running about 10,000 bottles at a time to the new facility that was going to be running 200,000 bottles, which huge jump, right? Yeah. I mean, 20 times our largest one ever. We made a really big mistake with one of the call outs on the label. It was actually one of our certifications. We put the wrong certification on the bottle. We didn't think much of it. The certifying agency called us, said, hey guys, you need to 
dispose all of those. Oh God. None of them are sellable. Yeah. None of them are sellable. And we're like, if we can't sell any of these, there's no company, right? We just put all of our money into this production run. It was a leap of faith. We were ready to go. So we couldn't sell the product because it had the wrong label on it. But we didn't need that certification anyway. That was like a nice to have, right? It was almost like the equivalent of saying you're gluten-free, but putting the wrong gluten-free label on there. So what we could do though, is we could scratch it out. So we had 200,000 bottles. We went to Home Depot and we got Sharpies and we opened oh, up 10,000 cases. Come on, how long? Over them. Your, your hands must have been burning. How, how long? That, that would have taken a little bit of time, right? That was several weeks. It was so much fun. We were at the warehouse. The warehouse, like we didn't own the warehouse, but the, the workers at the warehouse were doing it with us. We were playing music. It was like a good, it was a good moment of saying like, hey, like, you know, by any means necessary, right? And I think we had a lot of those early days moments where like shit literally hit the fan yeah. uh, and we had to figure out ways to kind of hunker down and get through it. And now when that happens, it's typically a, a bigger, scarier problem. But it will feel so much. But but you learn. But that but that's. Thank you for sharing that. And I think really w what I was trying to unearth there, which you successfully shared, was the story is fun to hear. But it's more so how you navigated that that moment. So you collectively, and now as a larger team, have a culture to navigate problems in the in the future, which d doesn't sound like is like full on sort of panic button, freak out. Two things, you can pick one or both. How do you guys think about sort of the environment today in regards to the, to the, to your products and, and sort of, you know, eco. And then also Austin is where you guys set up shop today. Anything to talk about in regards to the great city of Austin, Texas, as far as, you know, people recruiting or whatnot, but you know, you can touch on both of those, one of those, but those are two couple of things I wanted to hear about. I'll, I'll do both and I'll be brief on that, the latter, but Austin is, is an incredible city. They've been very welcoming to some Yankees from New York. It's an amazing hotbed for talent, for CPG, food, beverage, tech. There's just a lot going on here right now. Anyone that, that listens to this, uh, I will welcome them to, to stop by Super Coffee HQ. Come have a, uh, a cup of coffee with. But the, the first question, what was the first question? Because that was the one. That first question is around the environment. How, how are you guys thinking about sustainability and, and as, yeah. as best as you can? Yeah, I mean, I think that's something, right, that that is it's super important right now. It's incredibly timely, not only to customers, right, but to actual impact. So to the environment, we actually are in the move right now of moving into a recycled PET bottle. So post-consumer packaged plastic will be the, it'll be the first time we've ever done that. That's, that's super important to us. And it's something that we balance and, and, and struggle with, right? Because as a scaling brand and, and the scale that we've had, and there are so many other examples, you are confined to your manufacturer's capabilities, right? And you may have to do things in the short term to scale your business and make it a long lasting business that don't agree with your long-term environmental goals, right? Uh, a classic example is Honest Tea. Honest Tea sold the Coca-Cola. They now buy more fair trade organic tea from remote parts of the world than, than any company in the world. Yep. In the earliest of days though, they aspired to have everything be fair trade organic great for the environment and great for the ecosystems that they worked with. And they couldn't do it because if they did that in the early days and they didn't have economies of scale, they would have to sell their tea for like six or seven bucks. So they put that on the back burner, scaled, and now Coca-Cola buys over a million pounds of fair trade organic tea because they knew their vision was to 
help the environment as much as possible. And the best way they could do that was scale, build a great long lasting business that they could sell fair trade tea products to the globe, not just to, you know, the best and elite who are going to pay $6 for it when they were a micro startup. Yep. Yep. No, that makes sense. And it's, yeah, there, that there, there's a lot to learn there. I think just, you know, generally for a lot of players that are reaching, you know, thousands, millions of consumers. So I think it's definitely, uh, like you said, I think it's timely. Jake, as we kind of, we kind of wrap up, man, you know, on a serious note, how do you continue to maintain uh, the support of the Yankees just, you know, just through their last two decades of, you know, subpar, <laughs> subpar performance from the Red Sox fan? <laughs> I was going to say, Chris, I hope your listeners know you're a Red Sox fan. One. Uh, and two, you know, you just got to stay optimistic as a Yankees fan and hope, hope that all that money that they spend will, will come out. They're looking pretty decent right now. But as we said before the podcast, if you're bragging about your record in April, uh, yeah, we don't, a tough, we don't, tough we, way to support a baseball fan. Totally. Totally. Jake, anything, Oh, from a, from a sort of a call to action where people can read about you, hear about you, Instagram website, buy your product. Can you just share a couple, a uh, couple places that people can do that if they choose? Yeah, absolutely. I think first and foremost, if you want to connect with us, myself and my brothers, Instagram is a great place to go, Jake DeSico, Jim DeSico, Jordan DeSico, and then LinkedIn is also a platform that we love to use to, to interact with folks, both really easy. And then from a, a brand side, again, our most content, our most updates do come on Instagram, drink super coffee, uh, and then drinksupercoffee.com. You can go on there, you can try all of our products, and then, yeah, and then just in stores. You know, we're in 50,000 grocery stores across the country. You can find us at CVS, 7-Eleven, Walmart, Target, Kroger, Wherever you are, if you can't find Super Coffee, then hit me up on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's your. I I got a feeling get to know you the last hour, Jake. You'll fix that. So to kind of to close out now, so many things to sort of call out here in regards to superpowers and and again being brothers and being as tight and what you guys have built. I almost feel like there's sort of this is a different show. We've done a bunch, but sort of collectively the superpower yours. I mean, like I as I've been talking to you the last hour or so. You know the you know being humble, being kind, being real. You know a united front with your, with your with your brothers. But I think you know certainly maintaining uh, a level of your identity and your culture of who you guys are. It sounds like not much has really changed from kind of original conception of you know selling the first product to today. And I don't think we've had that superpower on our show. But what do you think? And where can we add? Let's kind of round this out with the superpower. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, our, our superpower lies in, in our coach acronym, right? In our coach values. Curiosity, you know, for anyone, right? The moment that you, you become closed-minded, that's a losing proposition, right? So I would say curiosity, optimism, right? That is probably the most important characteristic you can have. People want to be around optimistic leaders. If you, if you have the worst situation ever, and if you're being optimistic about it, you're probably giving yourself a better chance to be successful. Ambition, right? We all need to be ambitious. That's how you start a business. That's how you tackle new challenges. And then the last two, compassion. I think being compassionate, right? Caring for your people, treating people as people and, and you know, making sure that that is on the forefront, having an understanding of why, right? Compassion and curiosity are a great combo. And then lastly, you know, humility, right? And I think people think of humility as keeping your ego in check, which is definitely a big part of being humble. But like this world is tough, right? And if you can't make other people root for you 
along the way and want to see you succeed, you're going to be in a much tougher position. So I think humility at the end of the day, and I appreciate you saying it, not much has changed. That's how we always want to be viewed. Because again, at the end of the day, we're selling groceries to grocery stores. We're not recreating the wheel. We're not Steve Jobs. You know, we're doing the basics well. And if you can't, you know, look yourself in the mirror and say, hey, like, other people are helping you get recognition, then you're going to, again, people won't root for you. And, and I think humility is probably something that you need to have as a superpower in 2022 if you're going to have long-term success. You can have short-term success by being an ego asshole, right? You can probably cut through and get to the top, but check in in five years, check in in 10 years. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have your no, humility the, the- check, you're probably not. I, Jake, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Those people don't survive long-term. So for you and, and for Jim and Jordan, awesome story, Jake, and so cool to see Super Coffee, where it is now, where it came from. Can't wait to come peep you out uh, in Austin. I will be there. I, will, I am going to drink yeah. the products. We are going to pick this up in person, but loved having you on the show, man. You, you shared a lot of great insight on your guys' journey and look forward to having uh, our listeners hear it all. So thanks again for joining, bro. And until next time, yeah. till Austin. Chris, for a Red Sox fan, you're not bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> so much fun. Thank you. I really appreciated it. Thanks, bro. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Superpowers Podcast Show, friends. Please be sure to check out superpowerspodcast.com or on Instagram, superpowerspod. Be sure to tell a friend, subscribe, like. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.